Well, uh, we are continuing in a series this morning, um, the theme being fighters, and I'm just going to kind of give you a little glimpse into my brain and how sometimes I prepare for things like this, uh, and I actually Googled the phrase, how to get into a fight, um, and it's absolutely amazing that there was an answer for it. The number one answer took you to this discussion forum, um, for middle school kids, and uh, a kid, and I'm just going to read it to you word for word because it's too good, and I'm not encouraging anyone to go get into a fight or anything, but I just thought this was hilarious. Okay, so um, uh, the question is, I'm fighting a kid two times my size. How can I beat him? I'm only 13. He's also 13, but way bigger than me. I have baseballs for muscles. He has softballs for muscles. Let's just put it that way. Another middle schooler took it upon himself or herself to answer this question. Depending on how big he is, you may be able to catch him with a flying knee. Wait, we're not done. Nah, get it done quick. Get your guard up. You're faster. Look for your targets as you walk up to him. And while he's running his mouth or getting his guard up, explode straight through him. Punch, jab, elbows, smooth, quick, and powerful. Also, for bigger guys, nice kicks to the shins, hips, and knees. I've never seen anyone get kicked in the hip. Try finger jabbing his eyes out. Wait for it. Good luck, kid. (laughs) No, it's not over yet, okay? The kid who asked the question responds to this kid's answer. Great answer. I'm going to fight him. He took a swing at me in the bathroom. I just ran out, though, because it's the end of the year. And I don't want to lose my field day privileges. (laughs) And then he has in parentheses, pretty much a do whatever you want day. But I'm going to get him at baseball. Now, I am not encouraging fighting. I'm not encouraging any of that stuff. Because on a serious note, we do live in a world where there is a fight going on. And um, as Sherry has so well put, you know, the, the life of David in the Old Testament and what he fought for and how he fought and what he did. And then last week, uh, Paul, uh, you know, in the New Testament, most of the, the writer of the New Testament and missions and him taking the gospel to, to the known world almost, it seemed at the time, and what he fought for and how he fought the good fight of, uh, you know, of, of the faith But ultimately, there's the ultimate fighter, and that is Jesus. And I want to make it very clear to you that Jesus' fight was not against a person. Jesus did not take his fight to a person. And you may be like, but what about the Pharisees? We'll get to that. But I want you to see very clearly Jesus' beef was not with people. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, 
This is where we get the picture of the fight. And you're going to see the scripture that I'm reading on the screen, so you are more than welcome to follow along um, as I read it. But in verse 12, this is what we see. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, whether or not you are willing to admit it, there is a spiritual battle going on. And most of the time, I'm really glad I can't see it. But what Jesus' battle against was the, was, were these things, and, and, I will, and I'll try and, and shrink it down to as best as I can, because there's so much that we could talk about with this. What Jesus did when he went to the cross... It's found in the book of Colossians, just a few pages over in the Bible, Colossians chapter 4. And this is what he did on the cross. In this battle against this spiritual, unseen world of forces going at it for you and I. And this is what he did. He said, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What Jesus did when he went to the cross, what Jesus did when his battle, when his fight, when his desire to go, you know what, when Jesus prayed to the Father and said, hey, if there's any way that this cup could pass by me, if we could move this along, if we could find another way to do this, I'd be fine with that. But not my will, but yours. What he's saying in that moment is, I'm going to the cross and I'm fighting against anything that you And I would believe would bring us more satisfaction than him. What Jesus did ultimately on the cross, you know, in the scene in Godspell, when he was on the fence, when he was, you know, in his in his death scene, and he's he's on the cross hanging there, what he is thinking of, what he is driving for, what he is understanding, and what he's doing is he is pulling this veil back. He is pulling this this facade back on anything that you're trying to fill your life with, he's pulling it back and going, it is a lie. Anything that you are trying to find satisfaction in outside of the person of Jesus Christ, he revealed and publicly shamed on the cross. He said, there is nothing greater in this world that you will encounter. You know, in the Old Testament, and we've mentioned this, this verse from the stage several weeks in a row, In the book of Jeremiah, God says that his people are guilty of two things. He says the first thing that they've done is they have abandoned him. The fountain of living water. And they have traded it. And have dug broken cisterns for themselves that cannot hold any water. When he went to the cross, he publicly shamed and announced that all of those things that you will try and do to find satisfaction, to think satisfaction, you know, whether it would be an addiction or a sin or a thought or a lifestyle or a lie or whatever it is, 
If it's money, if it's work, if it's power, if it's fame, if it's fortune, whatever it is that you think is going to bring you peace, on the cross, he peeled back and revealed that it does not satisfy in his public shaming of those things. Jesus did not fight against people. And that kind of takes me to the the whole part of his fighting style, his fighting technique. Um, You know, you've heard of like the crane style, the viper style, the squirrel style. I don't know how many, whatever styles there are. I'm not very familiar with kung fu or I love the movies. I mean that, that, but my style is more of a like surprise attack. Do whatever I'm... (laughs) whatever I feel like. You know, as a youth pastor, you can't get into fights. I mean, I can't be walking up and down streets if somebody talks smack to me. I can't be like, oh yeah? You know, watch out. You know, I can't, I can't do that. But as a youth pastor, you do have to have some fight because you've got some feisty teenagers that you work with. And, you know, the whole surprise element of, of the fight and what style you fight in and all these different things, mine being surprised. In Nashville, my wife, um, in Nashville, not Asheville, uh, when we were living there and working with students at a student ministry there, um, she was very pregnant with our first child. And many of you know that you don't wake a sleeping pregnant woman. I mean, because it's ridiculously hard for them to fall asleep in the first place. Well, about two o'clock in the morning, we hear this boom, boom. I thought it was my alarm. I'm smacking things. I'm rolling over. I'm like, what is that noise? You're in that haze. You're like, what's going on? Is that an alarm? What's happening? And I remember going, what is that? And Doreen goes, I think someone's at the door. And I was like, really? And this is when all of your movie training comes into hang. You don't, you don't turn the lights on. You don't let anyone know that you're coming. You sneak attack, surprise element. You know, beat stick is under the bed, ready to go, you know. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And so I, gorilla army crawl, you know, to the window. Open, look out the blinds, you know, and the door, nobody's at the door. I'm looking around, I'm like, oh man, where, where, what's going on? And so I don't turn the lights on. I just stand there and peek out, you know, you know just look in. And then I see it. I see a Jeep of some of the students that are in our student ministry driving by really slowly. And I was like, God, if you are real, you will let this Jeep stop back at my house with me being fully awake, ready to destroy these kids. I stand there for a few minutes. The Jeep drives back again, and I'm like, they're totally thinking it. They're thinking, I didn't wake up. I didn't hear it. They're going to have to do it again. So I'm standing here like this, and Doreen, she's actually the mastermind of all this stuff. She comes up, she's like, let's call the cops. I'm like, Doreen, we, ha- we can't call the cops on these kids. And she's like, well, then let's shoot them in the face with your airsoft guns. <laughs> and I was like, call the cops or shoot them in the face. All right, you know, we'll shoot them in the face. So, <clears throat> so she gets my airsoft guns out, and she's really the mastermind. She's pregnant, angry, not sleeping. You know, she, yeah, but anyways, we're, we're at the, I'm at the window, and she's like, here's your airsoft gun, and air, for those of you that know what airsoft guns are, they got little, little plastic pellets, they really hurt at high power, you know, just, they sting a lot. Well, anyways, they stop the Jeep in front of our driveway, and as I'm standing there, I'm, I'm, I'm at the door, you know, and she goes, you stand in front of the door, I'll look out the window, and I'm like, okay, and so, 
know, this pregnant woman's like, you know, trying to squat down. She's like, you know, it was, it was I wish it, yeah, anyways, um, this is definitely going to be one of those replay moments for your brain. But, but she, you know, she's cracking the window open and two of the guys jump out of the, the Jeep. And I wish I could have had it on video because they were scared to death. They were like, you know, walking really slowly. They get, and Doreen's like, all right, are you ready? I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. She's like, are you ready? Because here they come. And I'm like, I'm ready. Stop freaking me out. You know, I'm like, I, I can do this. I know how to shoot this thing, you know. And, and so she's like, they're here. Open the door, get them. And I fling the door open and I start shooting them. And I'm shooting them in the face. And they're like, oh. The moment that I wish I could have gotten on video was not the two guys screaming like little girls getting shot by this airsoft gun, but it was the driver of the Jeep. I could see right into the window, and here's his face. Ah! It is a loud, screaming, high-pitched shrill. And he is so afraid that he almost drives off and leaves the two guys running after the Jeep. They jump in, fall into the Jeep and everything. Fifteen minutes later, I get a phone call from one of the guys I shot in the face. (laughs) Yeah... So you owned us, pretty much. And that was the end of it. And never happened, nothing ever happened like that again. I was like, I wish they knew that Doreen was behind that whole thing. It wasn't even me. But you know, that's my style. My style is, you know, don't fire at unless you're fired upon. And so that's, that's my style. But Jesus has a very unique style of fighting for people. And there's so many things that really stand out to me about him through the Gospels. I have been living in the book of Matthew since the the whole idea of God's spell, just whether it be memorizing lines or just reading through and going, man, Jesus, how did you interact with people? How did you love on people? How did you you meet with people? How did you you talk with people? How did you do that? And the whole God's spell thing has really just allowed me to see him for who he is because it's been in here. You know, and I don't know for many of you in this room, you may have a, a view of Jesus that you're content with. Oh, my Jesus fits in this box and he operates like this. When I open the lid, he pops out and then I put him back in when I'm done. And then if I want him out a little bit more, I'll open the lid and then I'll poke, close it back. But it's not until you get here And you allow Jesus, if he is, okay, here's the deal. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the son of God, if he is the God man, if he is the one who came to die once and for all, did you know he's big enough to answer your tough questions? Did you know that he is big enough to meet you where you are? Did you know that he's big enough to call you even though you have questions? That's the amazing invitation of Jesus, is that it's for all people. And you know, that should be such a common sense phrase. It really should. As a church, we should get that, but we don't. And let me just, let me just run, this, run these down by you. Uh, John chapter 1. You know, such a great verse. And I love how the Bible uses words. Words are so powerful. And if I can just say this, I love the Word of God. I love this book. I don't understand everything that's in it. I don't get all the things. I wrestle with things. I question things. I struggle with things. But at the end of the day, 
I believe it is the word of God. And so in John chapter 1, verse 6, this is what it said. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, speaking of Jesus. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3:16, something you could probably quote with me. But I want to add 17 in there as well. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. All everybody, the world um, in 2nd Peter verse 3 Chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. 1 John, chapter 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. You know, it's amazing to me about that. Jesus has a very unique fighting style in that he fights for those that no one would fight for. And, and I think, you know, we like to use the word that God gave his life for, for, you know, Jesus came for everyone, for all people. But you and I know that we don't necessarily believe that all the time. We think there's people that are too far off. We think there's people that are too far away from the grace of God. We think there's people that maybe they, you think they don't deserve the grace of God. Maybe there's people that are out there that, that maybe... No one has fought for and no one thinks about just because they don't see the need. They're not looking. But what's amazing to me about Jesus is he fought for those that no one would fight for. I want to read you a story from Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. I believe. Let me get there. And this is the calling of Matthew, one of the disciples. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, for those of you that don't know, tax collectors were not looked at very highly in that day. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. What about the Bible words things? Can you imagine reading this and being like, wait a minute, I was at that dinner. What are they saying about me? (laughs) But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, the wording is crazy. And Jesus responds, he says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, those who know they are sinners. It's amazing about that as you're like, well, well, that says that Jesus didn't come for some people. No, he came for all people, but he just knows there are people who don't think they're sinners. Because once you recognize that you are messed up and you are jacked up, Jesus is for you. I'm telling you. But sadly, that's the one step that many hearts will never recognize is that they have a need. The good news can't be good news if there's no bad news. Do you understand that? Do we get that? I don't know if we necessarily do sometimes because all we want to do is talk about the love of Christ instead of going, man, why do I need the love of Christ? It's because I'm fallen I'm broken, and I'm separated, according to the word of God, from God until I meet Jesus. You know, in in, in fighting for those that that can't, you know, that nobody fought for, Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman in uh, John chapter 4, and I would encourage you to read the whole story. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. There's a section that I want to read. But if you know anything about the Jews' relationship to the Samaritans, it was a hate-hate relationship. The Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews, both of them thought they were in the wrong, you know, the Jews thought Samaritans were half-breeds, Samaritans were like, what, you kidding, I will fight you, you'll fight, you know, everybody wants to fight, everybody always tends to go, well, the Samaritans must have loved the Jews. No, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. It wasn't always just the Jews hate the Samaritans, the Samaritans hate the Jews. And they would do anything in their power to not have to deal with Samaritans. You know, in the journey from Jerusalem to Galilee, if Jews had to go there, they would take the rocky road around where you were more likely to get beat, you were more likely to get robbed, it was rocky, it was dangerous terrain, when they could go through Samaria, which was a smoother journey, but because of their hate for those people, they were willing to take the risk. But in John chapter 4, it opens up with the word of God saying, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He knew what he was doing. He went and sat at this well about noontime, it says, and and, and his disciples went to look for some food, and so it was just Jesus sitting at this well, and this woman shows up at noon to get water. If you know anything about the Middle East, it's just hot. I mean, common sense for the most part. And noontime doesn't seem to be the time to go get water. Well, this woman comes to this well about noon. And Jesus is sitting there and he says, well, could you please get me some water from that well? And she's like, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan? Jesus responds to her. He's like, if you only knew who you were talking to, the water that you're going to give me is going to cause people to thirst some more. But the water I have to offer, the water I give you, you will never thirst again. Here's the most appropriate response ever recorded in scripture. Tell me about this water. It's pretty appropriate. Tell me about this water that's never going to cause me to thirst again. And so he begins to go into this and he says, you know what? Why don't you go get your husband and come and we'll, we'll chat about this. She says, <clears throat> I don't have a husband. Jesus is like, oh, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, you're not even married to him. Can you imagine her jaw droppage at that moment? 
but he continues a discussion with her that transforms her. Continues to talk with her, continues to talk with her and, and, and shares things with her, the truth about who he is and what's going to happen. And she's like, I've heard about stuff about a Messiah. And he's like, I'm the Messiah. And she's blown away. And we have a very short recap of what happens because of his encounter with this woman that otherwise no one would have anything to do with because the Samaritans, they all knew who she was. That's why she was at the well at noon. She didn't want to stand that ridicule from the others that knew who she was. Now, this is the response and this is the, re- the result. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. We now, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Because Jesus chose to fight for those that no one would fight for, a city gets to know the hope of the world. A city. You know, the unique thing, another unique area of Jesus' life in his fighting style that absolutely captivates me, blows me away in multiple ways is that very simply he fought for those who fight against him. Jesus fought for those who fight against him. On the cross, when Jesus was here hanging and gasping for breath, and dying, and hanging there, and knowing that he was going to taste death for three days. He knew there would be people who would reject and even live their life against what Jesus stood for. But he fought for them. Paul, one of the, you know, the writers of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, We talk so highly about him a lot of times because he did bring the gospel to pretty much most of the known world at the time, you know? It's like, you got to give credit where credit is due. But you got to remember where Paul started out. Paul started as a man who imprisoned Christians, okayed the death of Christians, was on his way to arrest and imprison other Christians when Jesus encountered him. Jesus fights for those who are fighting against him. He fought for those who would be leaders in churches in America today who have stripped the gospel of its power and said, Jesus isn't welcome here. We're just all going to think nice thoughts about everybody and that's how we're going to do business. Jesus fought for those people who would make it their life aim to belittle the cross. He did not fight against them. Because very clearly we see the heart of Scripture is that the Lord desires all to repent and none to perish. You know, with the Pharisees, he did deal harshly with them, but it wasn't against them. It was against their mentality of, I'm good enough on my own. 
Nicodemus is a Pharisee recorded in John chapter 3 who snuck out of his house at night, who wanted to talk to Jesus about stuff. And Jesus gave him the same answer he gave everybody else. You must be born again. You must be born again. And that's his invitation to the entire world. That you might be reconciled, as Jazz so well put, joined back together to God. You know, Jesus came because he saw all of the efforts that we were trying to do to join ourselves to God. And he's like, stop it. I'm going to make a way. And if you will believe on and receive the gift that I have to offer you, reconciliation has happened. Man, that's the invitation. That's the pleading and the begging of a Christ follower. That's the reason I get up on this stage and sing songs in a musical. Who does musicals? What do, you do? What do we know about musicals? I played basketball in high school. If my teammates came and saw me doing this, it would be over. <laughs> the whole reason I do this is because it is a pleading and it is a begging. Please come back to God through Christ Jesus. Quit doing what you're doing and trying what you're trying and trying to find anything else that's out there in the world that you think is going to satisfy. Give it up. That's what Jesus came for, man. Came so that you would quit trying. And that you might experience his life and his death through the cross. It is a pleading and a begging. Please come back to God through Christ. Because honestly, there's no other way. And I know that can be a deal breaker for some of you. But that's just Jesus from his mouth. Nate and the guys are going to come and play as we finish up. But I wanted to read you some scripture from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. It's somewhat quoting the Old Testament and some of the things that it says. But this is who Jesus is. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Do you know the guardian? How do you see Jesus? And honestly, when I look at scripture, I, I never saw Jesus pick up a sword or a picket sign. I didn't see him fighting against people. I saw him fighting for us. That is why we are called ambassadors or agents of reconciliation. 
You know, John 3.17, I think we're all good at quoting John 3.16, but John 3.17 makes it very clear that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. The church has taken the first part of that verse, and we've made it our mission to condemn the world. Instead of lifting up the life-giving hope of Christ Jesus high in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our church lives, in our community involvement lives, in our business lives, in every area of our life, we have chosen not to lift that part up, but to tell people where they're wrong instead of going, you know what, this is who Christ is. That's what an agent of reconciliation does, is we beg and we plead for people to come back to God through Christ. That's it. So we're going to go into a time right now of remembering what Christ did to reconcile us to God, to join us back together with him. Because according to scripture, apart from Jesus, we are enemies of God. We weren't even looking for him, but he was pursuing us. So in a few minutes, you're going to see some families around the room with a plate of cracker bread and some juice. And you take that cracker and you dip it in the juice. What you're saying when you do that is that you have turned to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. That bread, that juice doesn't save you. That bread, that juice doesn't reconcile you to God. Christ on the cross, crucified and rising from the dead, reconciles you to God. And when we take this together as a body of believers, when we break this bread together, we are proclaiming that we have turned to Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. And it is a remembrance of what he did. So if you're new and you're just kind of visiting and checking out, maybe you're like, well, I still got a lot of questions about this whole Jesus thing. You are more than welcome to just observe. But I wanted you to understand why we do what we do. But maybe you're in this place and the Holy Spirit's like working faith in your heart. You're like, I I have to know this Jesus. I want to know him. I I have got a lot of questions, but I need to know this Jesus. Then we would love to break bread with you. We're not going to do a spiritual ID check at each station. But according to scripture, when you take this meal, you're saying you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. You're saying it is the all satisfying reality in the world. Christ. Father, I thank you for this chance to lift your word high, to acknowledge your supremacy, to acknowledge your being supreme over all things. God, and how you fought for us through Christ. You knew that there was no other way to take a sinful people to be reconciled back to you other than Jesus. Jesus, would you be famous in our hearts first and foremost? And because of that, would you be made famous in this city?